0: All right, if you have your Bibles, turn them on uh, and open to Judges chapter 2. That's right, (laughs) kicking it old school. (laughs) Judges chapter 2. So what I want to do real quick is do a recap of what we've been talking about for a while. Danny's been on it for a few weeks now. Uh, he covered it last week and then Sunday, Joshua, and talking about the promised land. So what's going on is Joshua has been called to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. The promised land is what the Lord said, hey, this is yours. This is all of yours. I want you to take it. It's part of his covenant saying, hey, I want these great things for you. All you got to do is go. Go and take it. So that's, that's Joshua, Joshua leading the people and doing an eh job about it. And then we get into Judges. Get into Judges where, in chapter 2, it's, again, Israel's disobedience because they've been doing an eh type job. So they didn't go and get it. They went in a little bit. You know, like, I'm going to jump like, well, you can't jump halfway, but uh, I was going to say into water, but you can't jump halfway into water. That doesn't make any sense. But you can, like, put your toe in. They're like, they went and got it that much. And so they didn't go and get it. And so at this point, we're in Judges, and what Judges is, is just stories of how Israel is continuously disobedient over and over and over, and being really evil and doing stupid stuff, and then how they're crying out to the Lord, we're, we're so evil and we're so bad, send someone to help, help us, help us, help us. So the Lord sends a judge or a leader to help them. They say, help us, Lord, so he says, okay, and sends Judges. Over and over and over, and that's uh, where we're at. So we're right here. All right. All right. And two, we're, so anyway, I'll just start reading. Beginning of two. Now the angel of the Lord went up from somewhere to Bokim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. That's the promised land. I said, I will never break my covenant with you for." To give them the promised land. Uh, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. So there are people living in there, and the Lord said, Go get it, go conquer the land. And conquer, you think of battles and wars and, you know, killing people and taking it for yourself. That's what they were supposed to do. The Lord said, It was okay, don't worry. Uh, you shall break down their altars. And there's a big but. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. So he's like, the people that are here and you didn't do what you're supposed to, they're gonna be trouble for you. So uh-oh, just stay with me. I know this Old testament is boring, but just wait. All right, now skip down to verse six. We're at the death of Joshua. So Joshua, again, is the, is the one leading these people, leading the people in conquering the land and taking what the Lord said, go get so when Joshua dismissed the people, blah, 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 they went out and they here's the people serve the Lord of the day. So he dies. Joshua dies. So Judges is, it's, it's a pattern. All through Judges, it's a pattern. I read it down because I couldn't remember. A pattern is Israel falls into, e, into evil, and then the people cry out, help. I, we've been really stupid. We're not where we're supposed to be, so help. And the Lord's like, all right. So he sends a leader. Okay. And then the leader dies, and then they fall into greater evil because the leader died. The leader that was supposed to help them, pull them up, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He dies, and then they turn back to evil. And then here we are at verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, So you got to scroll a little bit. And all that generation also were gathered to their father's water. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Again, that's part of that pattern. So the people turned back to the evil stuff, and so the leader died, they turned to the evil stuff, and then because of that, there arose that generation that did not know the Lord. That's scary. So just a quick snippet to us now. Just imagine, like, in our foolishness, raising up a generation that does not know the Lord. In our, if, if all we did was sin and didn't run to the Lord ever, we would raise up a generation that didn't know the Lord. And That's scary. That's scary. imagine the world today and then imagine the world with no one that knew the Lord. Anyway, that's not where I was going. So, again, that's what judges, that's that's about all we're going to talk about with judges. Um, So we'll just talk about, again, how they're unfaithful. So we're at verse 11. I'm just going to skip around a little bit within those couple verses. It says, Israel did what was evil. They abandoned the Lord. They went after other gods. And they provoked the Lord to anger. So the Lord was mad. All right. And then down again, it says they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So it's just this pattern over and over and over. Now, I'm done talking about that. Now, that sounds a lot like life today. We are in a pattern. We have this pattern, or a lot of us do, I know. Some of us are more more guilty of it than others. But doing evil things, feeling really bad about it, feeling really distant from the Lord and saying, help. I'm being really stupid I'm being really evil and doing some foolish things and so we cry out to the Lord like on our knees in our bedroom or whatever and just bawling and saying Lord help help I can't I I don't I can't I literally can't even and you can laugh I'm trying to be hip you know uh and then the Lord's like okay I'm gonna help you like and he says I've already given you the Holy Spirit all you need whatever and I'm gonna help you and then we fall back again It's a pattern. You see the pattern? Nod with me, yes or no? All right, I see some nods. Good, that's a good thing. I like nods. All right, so we just get this pattern. So you're wondering now, well, what does Judges and the promised land and all that have to do with, what, what what can I use that with? So do we have a promised land that the Lord says, hey, I have this land for you, go get it? No, he doesn't say, here's this land, like I've given you. Go take Oklahoma, go kill all the people, and take conquer that because of Oklahoma, whatever. Anyway, he did, that's, that's not our promise, but we do have a promised land. It's not a physical territory, it's not a physical land, it's a spiritual promised land. I'm going to talk about that for a, little, for a little bit. Our promised land is the promises that the Lord has given us as believers, as people who, who claim to love Jesus, who know Jesus and have that belief. We have a promise. We have promises, multiple. All right, I'll just go through a couple of those. We, in Philippians 4, 4 6, you, you don't have to turn. There's gonna be a lot of these, just anyway. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious or worried about anything. That sounds easy. Well, it's just easy to read and just move past, move along with. But if you stop and say, like that scripture says, do not be anxious or worry about anything. Like, that's that's our promise from the Lord, saying you don't have to worry. Like, how many of you are worried about something? I'm worried that I gotta go teach 97 stinking 12-year-olds tomorrow and then get on my nerves. But, so that's a struggle. I worry about that. But the Lord says, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to be anxious about doing that. I don't, <laughs> Lacey, <laughs> right on. All right. <laughs> I don't have to be worried about that. The Lord says, because, of this promise that I've given to you, you don't have to be worried. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, I mean, it's hard to remember when I was in high school and junior high. But anyway, whatever like whatever you have going on, relationship issues, parent issues, school issues, social issues, personal issues, whatever. like You don't have to be worried about that. Like That's just, I don't know. It's a hard thing to just open your mind to and say, oh, I really don't have to worry about this. Because there's so... We're so situation focused that the situation is here and it's present. So I've got to focus on this. What is going on now? So I'm going to worry about that. And the Lord says, no, that's not what I've promised you. I've not promised you stress and anxiety. Like That's just stupid. Anyway, Romans 8.37 says, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Uh, I wish I would have. I don't have a lot to say about that. We're more than conquerors. We are more than people who conquer things in life. Like, if you conquer things in battles and anxiety and worry and all of these things in your life, the Lord says we are even more than that, even higher than that. We're more than just people who win things. Does that make sense? All right, good. 2 Corinthians 7, 4, we can have joy in suffering. Now, that makes no kind of sense, right? Like, I'm going to let you suffer, but I want you to be joyful about it. What that means is, is when I'm suffering through life, suffering <laughs> through second period, when those kids don't like me, I can be joyful that first off I have breath, I can breathe, that's great, like I'm alive. Why am I alive? Not because, I mean, thanks mom, uh, but like I, I have breath. Without breath, without being able to wake up, without being able to intake oxygen, that's a different thing. But like that, I have much more things that I can set my mind to than just the situation. Like I said, we have these situations that we're like, oh, this really sucks. I'm really suffering through life right now. But yeah, are the situations ever gonna go away? No. You're always gonna have situations that come up that you're not like hunky-dory about. But again, we're talking about the promises, the promised land that we have that the Lord has given to us, that you can be joyful in suffering. You can have joy in the suffering, in the suck, Fest of your life you can have joy is that inappropriate sorry Danny can't say suck uh. <laughs> serious Galatians 5 we have the promises of the fruit fruit or fruits I don't know plural I don't know anyway I don't care fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithful and gentle self-control did I say those right no all right <laughs> Anyway, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, whatever, all of those. All those things we have. And we like to think that, oh, only perfect people or people who have it all together have these things. I'm going to say no. No. Like, God says, I have given this to you. Go take it. Go take it. Go take and experience love, experience joy and peace and goodness and self-control and patience Patience, 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 man. So all of that leads to a purpose. Our promised land is our purpose in life. How many of you wake up and are like, what is, like, I don't know why I'm waking up today. You have to raise your hand. Okay, good. Uh, So we we all have the question of like, well, okay, I've heard these things before. I've heard what the Lord has promised me. But then we just take that and we don't use it. We just throw it away. We don't use that. That is our purpose, our purpose in life. Like we wake up, you can wake up in the morning and say, what is my purpose? Like why am I, why am I on this earth? Like I was birthed, cool, thanks mom. Uh, and then we wake up in the day like, I don't know like, what in the world I'm supposed to be doing. These things, going and getting it. Just like the Lord told Joshua and the people that he was leading, go in and take the land. Just go get it. That's what we do. We have a purpose, we have a promised land, and go get it. It's like, here are all of these wonderful things, and like Danny was talking about, milk and honey in the promised land of the people of Israel, like milk and honey, and apparently that was like the big hype back then. And But like how much cooler that we get to not worry and be more than conquerors and have joy and suffering and love, joy, all those ones. And a, a purpose, that sounds way better than some milk and honey, even though that's probably like awesome, but... Like, we have that, and the Lord just says, here you go. Go get it. And we're like, eh, better not. Um, so now I ask the question, and this is this is participation. Do we agree that Israel was foolish in their disobedience over and over and over? Yay or nay? Yay. That's what I thought. Yeah. So I'm going to give a little command. Don't be like them. Don't be like them they're like, well, Jacob, how? I'm glad you asked. Second page. Oh, no. All right. So I don't know if this is two or three points, but I'm going to start with some things. Um, so how, how, do I, how do I go about seeking and not being like the Israelites? Like They didn't go and get all that they were promised, all that they were told to go get. So how do we go get all the things that we've been promised? As people claiming Jesus, how do we do that? First, oh, let me set this up, hold on. I'm gonna talk about perspective. How many of you in here know that the Lord uh, does not label us as sinners? Raise your hand, because that's true. You're like, according to the Lord, I'm not a sinner. That's true. Like he says, you, like, well, he not say, whatever. Our, our label, he doesn't see us as sinners. So there's that perspective. Now, if you track with me, don't lose, don't lose me. On one hand, we are not sinners. According to the Lord, that's very important, according to the Lord, are we actually sinners? Say yes. But does the Lord view us as sinners? Say no. All right, great, tracking with me. So there's that. So I'm gonna gonna say this clear because I'm messing this up. That is a glass half empty perspective. Glass half empty. I've been saying half glass empty, anyway. Glass half, ha, glass half empty perspective. Now, there's that, glass half empty. On the other side, it says, you are a saint. That says, you are a saint. It kind of it means the same thing. Well, if you're not a sinner, then you're a saint. And that's glass half full perspective. Track with me? Like, if you're not a sinner, it's kind of the same thing as saying that you are a saint. But how many of us go with, well, I'm just not a sinner, like in the Lord's eyes, and just track along with that. Yeah. It's much easier for us to think, like, well, like, because of Jesus, I'm no longer a sinner in the Lord's eyes, and that's great. And fine, and that's all true, but we don't often go to the things that we are. Like, yeah, we're not this anymore, but what are we? And that's what I'm talking about, perspective. So you're a saint. First Corinthians 1, 2, it's, it's every, at the beginning of every one of Paul's letters to the church, he says, I'm writing this to the saints in Ephesus or in Colossae or whatever, how you say that one. Uh, all the churches, like to the saints, calling the people there saints, calling the church people, whatever there. So I'm just going to list some things about how we are a saint and what does that mean? What does that mean? You are a saint. A saint means all of these things. So track with me. A saint says, friend of God, John 15, 15, that we are considered friends of God. Like, if you didn't like someone, you wouldn't call him a friend, would you? So real simple, God likes us. He's our friend, you know, whatever that means. Uh, Romans 3, we are justified and redeemed. Our sins have been justified for, and we have been redeemed. Are we perfect? Everybody say no. Are we redeemed as perfect according to the Lord? Yes. And that's awesome. We are set free from sin and death. Romans 8. Set free from sin and death. Who likes sin and death? Nobody. Nobody. (laughs) This guy. No one likes sin and death. Uh, And we are set free from that, saying, like, you're a saint, you're yeah, you're not a sinner according to the Lord, but you're set free from those things. There's no bondage saying that you still have to sin. There's no change that's saying that you are bound for death. None of that. Do you hear this little squeak? Next, it says you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians The five seventeen. The, the old is gone and the new has come. Which means that you are no longer labeled as a sinner, but you are labeled as a saint. You are new almost in a very literal, physical way. You feel burden lifted off of you. You feel the weight lifted off of you, saying, I'm no longer this stupid Jacob, but I'm a redeemed Jacob. New creation, Ephesians 1 says, we are chosen, holy, and blameless. Chosen. God chose us to be these things. And we are holy and I would venture to say that we would only consider Jesus and God as holy. But how crazy is it that the Lord calls us holy? Because of the price that Jesus paid, we are holy. And that makes no kind of sense to me. A God who is perfect and the creator that runs this place is holy, but he calls me holy too. That just blows my mind. And he says that we are blameless. How many, in a literal way, how many of us place the blame on other people? Something happens, you broke mama's lamp, and you was like, he did it, because I did. I actually broke that lamp. Laugh. (laughs) Thanks for the pity laugh. Blameless. So when we think about the spiritual reality of that being blameless, we would all say, that it I am to blame, you are to blame, each of us is, well, I'm to blame for putting Jesus on the cross. We know that our sin put Jesus on the cross, right? Track with me, that's important. That's an important thing to know. That we put Jesus on the cross, our sin. And how easy is it for God to just be like, it's your fault, you did it. Like, I put the blame on you, so. And if there's blame, there's punishment. Does that make sense? If you were blamed with something, if Weston is blamed with breaking the lamp, there's punishment for him. That was funny again. Thank you. So, in in the spiritual sense, like we are blameless. Blameless means without blame. Like we have, we are not responsible. Are we actually responsible? Say yes. Does the Lord view us as responsible for that? No. How cool. It's like mom saying, "I know you broke the lamp, but I'm gonna pretend like it didn't happen. I'm gonna pretend like it wasn't you. I'm gonna, you know, like okay, follow with me. Second, uh, how do i talk about Ephesians 4, righteous and holy. Again, we talked about that. And then again, Colossians 3, holy and beloved, beloved, whatever. I don't know how you, church words. You know, all of these things that we are, all of the things we are. So that's first point. You are a saint. You're not just labeled as not a sinner." So we got to get rid of that perspective. Keep it as truth. But there's so much more that we are, that we get, because we love Jesus. Now, second, you have an inheritance. An inheritance. If you think of the world, the worldly inheritance, like if mama's rich and she dies, I get that inheritance. Like that's that money's mine, right? That's inheritance. Things that you get. Things that you get. Now, when we think about, this is good. When we think about, all right, I don't know where it was this, yeah, inheritance, we think about the things that we get, but a lot of times as Christians or people that claim to love Jesus, whatever, that wasn't supposed to be offensive or anything, uh, we think about the things that we are saved from a lot of times. Okay, so I want to tell a story. Some of you have heard this, and it's not even my story. Uh, I stole it and tell it a lot. So track with me here. Uh, Imagine a glass house, a glass house, which means that you can see through it, right, because that's what you can do with glass. Say yes. Yes. Okay, good. You're tracking with me. This is important. This is important. So glass house. Now imagine that there's a dad in the backyard and a six-year-old in the front yard. Can the dad see the sun in the front yard? Everybody say yes. Yes. That's important. Okay. Now, (laughs) it's not super graphic, but you're going to be like, so hold on. Now imagine that the dad is in the backyard, the six-year-old's in the front yard. Now imagine a teenager coming up with a bat and beating that six-year-old to death with a bat. Now, track with me. That's gruesome. That's, it's, it's a six-year-old. You're like, what, what, did, what did the six-year-old ever do? You know, like he's a six-year-old. Like you got to wipe snot from him every once in a while. Now, revenge. Revenge would be the dad taking that bat tracking down that teenager and beating him to death. And that seems like the logical thing to do for us. That's easy for us to run to and say, right? Like, well, they did this to him. I'm going to do it to him, you know? <clears throat> so that's revenge. Justice. Justice is the dad going, or not going. Justice is just letting the court system handle the teenager in whatever, whatever manner that they deem fit or deem appropriate. The the dad says, I I trust the court system. I have faith that they will do the just thing. Justice will be served in that and just stepping back. Mercy. Mercy is the dad going to whatever court system, whatever judge and saying, hey, I just, you know, like, want to take a big leap here and just say, I want to give, I I just want to let, like, all these charges drop. Just drop all the charges, like, me and my family, we just want to move on. Move on with this. So that's mercy. Just saying, I don't want anything to to be done. You know, just let it go. And that's already crazy. None of us want to do that. That's insane. And then grace. Grace is the dad going to the judge and saying, I don't want anything to happen. So let Mercy, mercy still go in effect. Like, drop all the charges. But at the same time. I want to adopt that teenager and treat him as my own son. Treat him as my own. Now take the spin. In this story, God is the dad. Jesus is the six-year-old. We are the teenager. That is is grace in what we have been given and what we have been saved from. We have been saved from revenge and justice and only been given mercy and grace. God knows and viewed and sees that we murdered his son in a gruesome way, in a gruesome way, his perfect spotless son, his six-year-old. And he says, Even in that, while we are still sinners, he died for us. And he calls us and adopts us into his family. He wants to treat us as his own son that we killed. That that we killed. That doesn't make (laughs) any logical sense to anybody. In our humanity, I don't think any of us would ever welcome the the, the murder of our child into our family to actually treat them as our own. That doesn't make any sense. But that's what we get. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. We are now in the very literal sense children of God. But we like to look on the other side of the on the other side of it. So perspective. There I started with the 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 positive, the glass half full thing. You have an inheritance. This is what you get. But a lot of times it's easy to say, well, this is what, I'm, I'm saved. We have the I'm saved mentality. Not that it's bad, but we focus on what we've been saved from. Like, well, yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm a Christian, so that means I'm, I'm not going to hell anymore. Or I don't, I don't have to go to hell. There's no death. There's no punishment. Which is all true. But how much greater and how much perspective change does it have if we say, this is what I get, though? This is what I don't get, and that's cool, and that's awesome, like, thank the Lord. But this is what I do get. Like, I get, I get these things. And then again to that. So we're children of God, John 1, 12. It says we are heirs with Christ. So just as much as Jesus is an heir to the, to the Father, so are we, we are with Christ. We've obtained an inheritance, Ephesians 1. We are citizens of heaven, Philippians 3. And we are loved and he has chosen us again. We have an inheritance far better, far better than anything that we could think on this earth like like Bill Gates. If, I don't know if he has kids, but imagine that inheritance. Like that's a that's an intense inheritance. You know who Bill Gates is, right? All right, good. Now, again, like we have an inheritance way bigger than that. Like we, we get heaven. We, we get to be in the presence of the Lord. And I don't know if you know how awesome like just the thought of that is. And if not, you should probably dig in and figure it out for yourself. That's a different thing. So you're a saint. You're not just labeled as not a sinner, but you're a saint. Perspective, glass half full. You have an inheritance. This is what you get, not just what you don't get. You don't get hell, but you get heaven, you get Jesus. Like, our, our, our perspective is, it's still, ac- it's an accurate perspective, but it's just not the best perspective, you know? And so you say, so yeah, I'm a saint, I get that. And I'm, uh, I have an inheritance, that's, that's really great, you get that. You say, well, what do I do now? Like, what do I do now? It's what Joshua should have done in the first place. If you turn to Joshua, the first chapter, you don't have to. Don't do that. Just trust me. Don't do that. Actually, look it up. The Lord said, every place that the sole of your uh, foot will tread upon, I have given you. The first time he says, be strong and courageous. Second time he says, only be strong and very courageous. Courageous. Third time he says it: Be strong and courageous. That's our command. Joshua was given the command to go and take the promised land that have give you, given you. We we have our own promised land. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous three times. We have this weak men. We have this weak minded thing that I can't do anything. I'm, I'm weak. I I can't face life. I can't be joy. I can't have joy in suffering. I can't not worry. No, 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 no. That's like little guns like these. Like we're strong. Be strong and courageous. Like being strong and courageous means when those things come up saying, this is what my daddy says about me. This is what the Lord says about me. This is what the Lord says about me. I can do these things. I have a promised land. And me being strong and courageous is me going to get it and me taking it. Don't be weak. Be strong and courageous. And the second thing, the second thing, and this, is, this is huge. Right there in the first chapter, Joshua 8. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. This book, this one. Meditate on it day and night. Does that mean you have to have it open in every single minute of your day reading it? No. But just like Danny's, I'm pretty sure it was Danny. Shout out. He says, truth will set you free, but it's only the truth that you know. That's exactly right. Truth, this truth will set you free from those negative perspectives, from feeling weak and not courageous, that you can take this life. But the the important thing is the truth will not set you free if you don't know it. It's only the truth that you do know. And I feel like Danny should have yelled that. It's only the truth that you know. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. I was thinking about a situation in my classroom. Like I can't, like kids frustrate me to, to no end. I can't, I, I can't be in the middle of my lesson in the middle of my day with my Bible open, reading like, this is what the Lord says about me. I am this, I'm holy and redeemed and loved, and I can have patience and joy and suffering because these kids are making me suffer right now. But if I know what this says, I can have that on my mind. I can meditate on that day and night. The truth that you know is the only truth that will set you free. I don't have to be frustrated, I don't have to, to lose my patience with my kids. I can be joyful in suffering. I cannot worry, only if I know it says. So, you take, the, you take the new perspective that you are a saint and that you have an inheritance. And you do what Joshua should have just done in the first place, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. And then don't let this, it's so important. We become weak when we don't know this. We are so strong when we do know this. We can go and get the promises that the Lord has said. Go get, go take. They're there, take them. We can do that. Not if we don't know it. Not if we don't know it. And we say it's so important for us to read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. It's real churchy things to say. It's a churchy thing to say because that's what the truth is. Truth is this. You can't do anything if you don't know it. You're going to be weak, and you will be just like the Israelites over and over and over, just falling back into their sinful ways. We're always going to sin, but we don't have to be trapped to that. We don't have to be chained to that. We're called to so much more. And then my last question. So we talked about, you're a saint. You have an inheritance and what those mean, what they mean, what they actually mean and what you get, not just what you don't get. We said, well, how do I, well, like, what do I do now? You go. Go, being strong and courageous and not letting this book depart from your mouth. now why does it matter why does this matter why does any of this matter why would i want to just why would i want to spend time in this why do i want to know truth is it is it that important like can i just believe in jesus and just go about my day you know like doing my own thing like i know jesus i believe in jesus but I wonder how exhausting it must be trying to convince other people of your relationship with Christ. I wonder how exhausting it must be trying to prove something to somebody else, trying to prove to yourself, putting on a show, putting on a mask, saying, I got it all together, yo. Like, this is me looking good. I know Jesus. And then taking a step back and saying, and having the people around you look and say, No, you don't. Your life looks nothing like that. Why does it matter? If you claim a belief, people should see that in your life. And claiming Jesus as the number one priority in your life, that should be the biggest thing about you. That should be the most important thing about you. And I I don't know about you, but for me, the most important thing about me, I, I wish people would be able to see that in me. I hope. And my, it, it breaks my heart when people call me out. Like, I, I claim Jesus as the most important thing to my life, but they just call me out saying that, well, there's this area of your life that doesn't exactly look like that. And they're right, they're right. If Jesus is supposed to be the most important thing in your life, the most important reason why you wake up and you're just like, oh, I surrender Jesus is my Lord, and your life doesn't look like it, what's the point? Why do you keep coming here? I'm not saying don't come. That's bad. But what's what's your purpose? It makes no sense. I I guess my prayer would just be, and and I say this all the time, like, And just like we talked about at The Difference, like wake up, realize that life can be fun, but life isn't a game. It's not a game that you can just play. Like you're either all in or you're out. And there's no sense in you putting on a front, exhausting yourself trying to convince other people that you've got it all together when you don't. We have all of this Saying, giving us an identity. This is who you are. This is who you are. A saint. We have this saying, you have an inheritance much greater than anything on this earth. Like this is what you get. And it, and it doesn't make any sense that our lives would point to something other than that. If we, if we know the truth. If we to say we know the truth. We have this. We are saints, loved, chosen, holy, beloved. But then our lives don't look like it. Like we may know it. We may know it. But then this also says, you will know them by the fruits, them being us. Know them by their fruits. And I think you just have to ask yourself, what kind of fruit are you producing bitter fruit? Is it even fruit? Probably gross vegetables. That's funny. But the, the the point is, like we we can have a different perspective. Like those of us in here, we know we know who Jesus is, and we're like, and you you know Jesus. And so the perspective talk is is to you. Like that you are a saint. Like realize what you are, not just what you aren't. Like, yeah, you aren't a sinner according to the Lord, but you are these things, wonderful things. And then again, for those of you that know Jesus, like you have an inheritance. This is what you get, not just what you don't get. But then the why does this even matter? Are those of you that are putting on the mask? Saying you love Jesus, saying Jesus is the most important thing in your life, but not really. I think you need to ask yourself, why does it matter?